0: Welcome to Econoday Unplugged. Each week, our expert team explains the relationship between economic announcements and market reaction. For over 25 years, Econoday has provided value for the investment industry, amassing a comprehensive, machine-readable database of global market events. Econoday provides solutions for macroeconomics, sovereign debt, agricultural commodities, and historical data, all delivered via API, XML, and HTML. Connect the dots with Econoday. Subscribe to the Econoday Unplugged podcast and go to www.econoday.com to follow market events. Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the sixth of August, twenty nineteen. Mark Pender is stateside, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, just when things seem to be calming down in time for the summer holidays, US-China trade relations have deteriorated to a new low, hard Brexit risks risen to a new high, and tensions in the Gulf region are as unstable as ever. So investors are looking for a safe haven again, which means gold prices have hit new multi-year highs. Bond yields are falling. Ten-year U.S. Treasuries yesterday dropped to their lowest level since November 2016. And in the currency markets, the yen and Swiss franc are in demand, as interestingly enough have been some of the cryptocurrencies. Now, if we believe that the Fed, and for that matter, the BOE and ECB, are increasingly focused on international economies, does this mean another round of monetary stimulus is in your thing? So, Mark, how significant yeah. do you think it is that uh, the Trump administration has called China a currency manipulator? And should we now be thinking about a second successive Fed cut in September?
1: Well, you know, when uh, that happened, I was thinking to myself, um, I was kind of going through things. Before it happened, I said, you know, I guess they have to call them a – it was all within the same day, a currency manipulator. And I swear the next thing I saw was, you know, the administration declares China a currency manipulator. But there doesn't seem to be any uh, teeth to it. Um, it has always been something for years and years and years and years, uh, something that is in the background. Uh, every six months they do these um, – currency things uh, this is the treasury and um it's always a threat it's always talked about uh at the time and no, nothing ever ever happens with it except for um this latest uh occurrence and um which is you know something for history a real flare up in in the war and uh really showing that they're going to new weapons and of course, this really opens the door for uh, selling treasuries. They can, uh, you know, China's 1.1 trillion accounts, uh, Chinese account holdings of these treasuries are going to go up in quite a, a going to go up in value because of not only the demand in the bond market, but for the the strengthening in the dollar and the weakening in the yuan. So. Um, uh and that data is lags by quite a bit so to see what they're doing right now Chinese accounts will have to wait several months um, but that that is a real risk I guess but there's demand for the treasuries is so strong anyway maybe it, it it would it would do more than just uh, you know, slow uh, the rise in, in bond prices um but and what do you think about i mean i've been thinking for the last week or so the swiss franc in, in, is bound to go up the swiss franc is bound to go up i mean was that a sure bet well
0: and, and, yes, what, and, thinking-
1: and what can the swiss national bank do OK,
0: well, I, see, you know, we sort of, I think we made warning noises about this um, just a few weeks ago because as uh, so the Eurostone started to slow down and so speculation has grown about this potential ECB rate cut or at least some form of ECB easing. And now the market's you know, determined that's going to happen once we get to the next central bank meeting in September. Of course, the poor old Swiss National Bank is, is stuck there with already negative interest rates. Its key policy rate currently stands at minus 0.75%. but with the prospect now seemingly of ECB interest rates going negative, markets are starting to look around and think, well, that's narrowing interest rate differentials differentials um, against the Swiss franc, which means perhaps we should start thinking about buying the Swiss franc anyway, because it's the safe haven currency. And because of all this latest turmoil in the currency markets in general, as a result of yesterday's developments, of course, people will tend to buy the Swiss franc simply because of its safe haven status in the first place. Now, what can they do? Well, they, to be fair, they've actually managed the franc pretty successfully over the course of the last couple of years or so, really since they had to abandon the peg for a uh, folks who don't remember, there used to be this floor that the um, the Swiss National Bank used to put under euro Swiss franc um, at 1.2 nought. So it's 1.2 nought Swiss francs to the euro. And they defended that floor for a long time because were the Swiss franc to break down below that, which means it's strengthening against the euro, of course, it's, it's going to dampen inflation pressures. And as everyone knows, you know, Swiss inflation is always low. And at the moment, it's far too low. Now, over the course of this year, what we have seen is a, a Interest rates generally have been drifting lower, so yeah, you know, it's made the appeal, if you like, or the lack of appeal of negative Swiss and Swiss franc interest rates, that much less of an issue. And the Swiss franc has been strengthening for some time now. And at current levels, as we speak, and this cross rate you you're referring to, uh, euro Swiss, it currently stands about 1.094. I suggest that's oh, must be about three four percent at least below this, below where the Swiss National Bank would want to see it. So what I think they'll be doing if they're not already is certainly intervention because uh, every Swiss National Bank quarterly policy statement, they reaffirm their commitment to prevent unwanted frank appreciation and their willingness to intervene in the forex markets and i think it may be the case that i'll simply come out and say well okay if the ecb is going to come out and let's say trim its refi rate by Mm -hmm. 10 or 20 basis points we're prepared to take another 25 basis points off our policy rate Mm -hmm. which means that the interest rate differentials will start widening again but But it's a real problem for the authorities at the moment out there
1: it almost seems that it's um almost becoming like part of the DNA I mean uh, demand for the Swiss franc in times of trouble uh, goes back to, as far as I can remember uh, it hasn't changed at all it's almost like it's part of the, the structure of, of the uh, uh, of the global investment mind um, and uh, and so it's it's it seemed like well the yen is another question uh, uh, how can they how can the Bank of Japan keep uh, keep the yen from going up what do you think
0: well, I think that's right. I mean, looking at it, really, whenever you get ter- ter- uh, times of turmoil in the currency markets, then you're looking at, you know, the, the regional safe haven currencies. Typically speaking, depending on what's going on, the dollar tends to be the number one currency. Then within Europe, it's the Swiss franc. And for the Asian bloc, it's very much the Japanese yen. Now, as you mentioned, the yen has been by far and away one of the beneficiaries of its latest bout of volatility. We're currently talking a uh, dollar-yen spot rate, of, what, just over 106. Now, I think we've talked a little bit in the past, about you know round about the 107 line uh, was about as strong as the uh, BOJ and uh, the Japanese government would want to see it. It's now through that level, and some people are even suggesting that the dollar could weaken as low as down as 100 against the yen, which of course would be another what six six percent plus of strength as far as the yen goes. Now that's going to give them exactly the same problem as the Swiss National Bank. There's hardly any inflation in Japan; they can constantly miss their two percent inflation target target, and the stronger yen is the last thing they need. What will they do? Well, I guess they may be prepared to to intervene in the same sort of way that the Swiss National Bank has done. Um, They may be perhaps prepared to come out and adjust their policy stance again in terms of adding to their quantitative easing perhaps reducing interest rates yet further but it seems to be getting to the stage now really when you look around that when you're talking about negative interest rates in the first place does a more negative interest rate have that much more than a have that much an impact uh-huh. on a currency when rates are negative uh-huh. in the first
1: place uh-huh. wait, I, you, wait, yeah i'm sorry yes. go ahead
0: no, well, I was going to say, it does seem that a lot of this at the moment is driven by, as you were saying, it's kind of you know, trading off the back of historical themes. And if basically, look, yeah. we really don't know what's happening in these markets, what's safe? So Asia, it's yen. Europe, it's Swiss franc. And depending upon the you know, global stuff, then it's, it's the
1: dollar. Well, it, um, let's talk about uh, depending on intervention. Um, as opposed to uh, monetary policy. Now, intervention uh, and, and help me articulate this is that that's basically a bank burning traders or or burning uh, or, or, or trying to limit um, sharp day to day moves or uh, intraday moves. Um, and uh, but it, uh, and you can do that. I think. Um, I don't know how long you can do that, but you can you can burn you can burn the market uh, here and there. But can you do it on a on a long term basis? That's I guess my question.
0: Well, I suppose it depends which side of the market you're actually operating on. If we take um, you know, a, a, a an economy or a central bank, I should say, which has got problems with a strong currency, then what that central bank will be doing will be looking to sell its own currency. So that, you know, Let's go back to the Swiss case. So a Swiss national bank over the last few years has been active every now and again, selling the Swiss franc into
1: the market and buying euros. Yeah, so but, w- but, but when they're selling it, it's timing, right? They're trying to make the biggest effect as they can.
0: It, it is timing, that's right. Um, but it's not just timing in the sense that, well, if they, to answer your original question, can they keep doing that? Well, at the end of the day, it's the Swiss franc which produces, sorry, the Swiss National Bank that produces Swiss francs, so it can sell as many Swiss francs as it wants to in the market. That's not really the issue. Um, in terms of the timing side of it, well, there's two aspects to this, I think. One, if we go back to when the Swiss franc, the Swiss National Bank pulled the plug on its currency target floor, what, three years or so, four years or so ago now, three years is that um, it really caught the traders out we saw the euro-Swiss franc rate, I've got to think back now, it fell from about one 1.2, so that's Swiss francs per euro, down to about 80, 85 centimes or so to the euro. It was an absolutely huge move. And not only did that catch all the traders out of um, out of pocket, caught them out of pocket, I mean, it burnt them badly, but a number of other central banks weren't too happy about it as well because was it, what it meant for their currencies. But it worked at the time, you know, traders were caught out and – We've subsequently seen until recently the Swiss franc gradually move back up towards what the SMB's target was. Now, I think if it comes into terms of timeframes and stuff, if markets are prepared to believe that you can be caught out. So let's say if you're particularly long, so you're long Swiss francs against the euro and you've suddenly got the Swiss national bank on the other side of the market just – you know, spending billions, millions of euro <laughs> of um, Swiss francs into the market, what are you going to do? You're going to lose out. So I think a lot of it, I think, comes down to, you know, Swiss Swiss national bank or general central bank credibility and how they operate. Timing, as you say, is very important, trying to get it right to have the biggest bank for your buckle, Swiss franc or whatever currency it may mm-hmm. be. But mm-hmm. I think the credibility side is particularly important.
1: Well, it's interesting, you know, because the U.S. doesn't have uh, exercise um, currency policy at all like this. Uh, the central bank, uh, the Fed keeps a, a far distance. It's not part of their power. Uh, that, that's that been uh, taken, uh, and it's the administration, the Trump administration. Um, and it can, in the old days, you could have treasury secretaries, uh, Lawrence Summers or, or Robert Rubin, and they would talk a lot about uh, uh, the dollar. Um, it, a lot, which would be, you know, these vague phrasings. Yes, we're in We're, you know, in favor of a strong dollar, you know, (laughs) very, very in favor or just very in favor, you know, those kinds of little nuances. And um, and so you'd see and we haven't really seen that in the U.S. yet. um, uh, The dollar play, because I know you have questions about the dollar and it's 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 more amorphous or it's vague. It's not as pinned down by any means uh, uh, here as it is in there. We'll see if that changes.
0: Well, what's going to be interesting, I think, we've got what the, uh, the G7 summit is scheduled, I think, what, back end of this month. And in you know, previous rounds of these meetings, they've all tended to pat each other on the back and come out and say, yes, everyone is perfectly happy with the idea there's going to be no form of competitive devaluation in order to boost local local economies. Well, you know, given what's been happening over the course of the last few days, when we've had the likes of China being accused, you know, accused of currency manipulation, we've also had the US administration well, actually. Naming them per se, intimating that they 're not happy with the ecB quantitative easing driving uh-huh. down the level you know driving down the euro it 's going to be interesting what comes out of this meeting and whether or not we 're actually starting to see some genuine fracturing of the kind of currency cooperation we 've seen in the past
1: well that 's a good word uh, or fracturing or stress it 's you know it 's not only on the central bank level uh, um, but it 's also on the of course on the trade level the u s bilateral Ah uh, with with so many now uh, so many countries are in the are in the news of complaints about uh, of uh, of fair trading and so it's not it's broadened out far from china and uh, and, and it's and the space of the battlefield uh, or the field of, of, of battle keeps seeming uh, seemingly to expand uh, so and, I, and it's interesting it, it, it it's stressing out monetary policy, or it's changing monetary policy, and then its relationship to currencies uh, is so close, and uh, and that seems to be the what the next shoe that falls.
0: I think it may well be, and I think one of the interesting aspects of this, and I think we touched on this the other week, if it really does guards get to a stage that yeah, look, we're okay, we're going we're going to. Pull the plug. We're not going to see any kind of competitive devaluations, anything like that. We're saying that monetary policy. Well, let's be honest. Interest rates can't go much lower anyway. Quantitative easing. Even if central banks start going back to it, you've got to start wondering about. Well, what about diminishing returns? So more and more, it seems to me, when you look at you know the different means by which you can try and get an economy growing again, which is pretty well what all these central banks want to do, whether they've got inflation targets or not. You know, it comes down to fiscal policy. So I think there's been more and more pressure now on policy. Politicians around the world to simply accept the fact, well, look, monetary policy or even currency manipulation, if you're allowed to call it such thing, has done their bit. It's really now down for the politician to come out and start talking about spending, such as Boris Johnson, for example, in the UK. Well, that may have to be for a totally different
1: reason what was the, what's the Boris Johnson thing?
0: well it's interesting what we have over here of course surprise surprise all the talk over here, and I suppose it's, it is worth quickly mentioning is brexit to mention brexit in in, in the intro um, markets are now starting to become increasingly concerned about prospects of a hard brexit as things currently stand the, uh, the new uh, UK government under Boris Johnson and the EU Commission are completely at loggerheads you know the bottom line here is that the UK government is saying right we need to change the uh, the previously agreed withdrawal treaty. So the treaty which actually extracts the UK from the European Union. The European Union attitude is, well, look, we've agreed this treaty. In no way, shape or form are we going to change it. So unless one side gives in a sizable way, then it looks increasingly now as if we could get some kind of a hard Brexit. Now, there's this ongoing debate, as we talked about before, as to whether or not um, Johnson could actually get a hard Brexit through Parliament. And the view typically there is no, there's not enough support. So getting back to where I should be at the start of this thing, um, it was interesting that Johnson has been announcing a fair old swathe of public sector spending and investment plans, particularly for the likes of the National Health Service. And mm-hmm. that has got speculation boring away to all hang about. Is he going to go out and call a general election? Because if he were to do that, that could give him the mandate then for the hard Brexit, and if he'd it, if win the election. But the hard Brexit and Parliament really would find it impossible then to stop him. Because but he's they got, couldn't
1: do that before uh, October 31st, could he?
0: Well, the way things look at the moment, is, is, I think it uh, depends who you ask on this one. I think there's a lot of people you know, going through the legal and statute books trying to work out whether or not he could actually do it. And certainly some people believe that if you're pre well to try and do it now, then he could do. I mean it's got to be said that he – originally said that he wouldn't call a general election before the end of October. But this is Boris, so we, we, we really don't
1: know. <laughs> but but, the, but the, Euro- the European elections were just a month or so ago, and uh, the Tories had a very small showing, right?
0: We did, but this don't okay, get. This is just a national election, so this is the UK popular vote. So how the UK would actually vote?
1: But well, wasn't, on- well, wasn't that? wasn't that a near indication that the Tory support isn't that great? Well, well, are you, well, you going to lump is- in the the Brexit? Well, this Brexit is it.
0: This, this is where it all gets complicated because it's the cross-party side. Um, yes, it comes down at the moment. If there's another election, um, it's people, are, to some extent at least, are going to vote on whether or not they think we should have a hard Brexit, if that's what it's going to come down to, or no Brexit at all, or a soft Brexit, whatever it may be. The Conservative Party now under Boris Johnson is the party which is you know proposing hard Brexit if necessary. They still maintain it's not their preferred choice, although increasingly it looks like it is the way negotiations aren't going at the moment but they now stand for the hard brexit and apparently as a result of this um, the conservatives now have increased uh, a lead in the opinion polls into double digits Uh so there may well be some temptation for this tory government to try and you know get some election in if they can do as quickly as possible
1: where's nigel farage right now is he in the background is is he on television what is he doing
0: well, he was hoping to get the UK ambassador's job um, in Washington. I think it was after previous ambassador was sacked due to making some perhaps some unfortunate comments about US administration. But he didn't get that. Um, and some sort of the rug's been pulled under his feet now because whereas he was the Brexit man, you know, he's got his own Brexit party. Well, the Tories have really stolen a lot of his thunder because they yeah, they now, under Boris Johnson, are going down that route, or at least the government is, even if the entire
1: party isn't.
0: So well, if ours, there was
1: a, if there was a general election would there be his party in there
0: i think his party would stand i mean there was some kind of talk about the possibility of uh the government the tory party and the brexit party you know, operating together um effectively it would mean that you know farage would kind of stand down to make sure that the um the tories would win and then perhaps i don't know get some kind of job within the, within the Tory party government itself um you know, but that that remains to be seen
1: oh so he's more in the background right now
0: At the moment, he is. Of course, since it's now Nigel Farage, you're never too sure how long that will be for. (laughs) All right. um, Let me quickly mention just other things we should be talking about Um, in terms of central banks. The Bank of England last Thursday. Now, as folks probably sure, they didn't do anything in terms of interest rates, but they did tweak their forward guidance on rates, which was quite interesting. Previously, um, they still use this central case scenario, which sees a smooth Brexit even though it may be looking increasingly unlikely at the moment, which leads to a gradual and limited increase in interest rates over coming years as the output gap closes. What they're saying now, though, is that tightening would be conditional upon some improvement in the global economy. So, again, this is going down the same sort of route as Mark was talking about the other day of the Fed, where the international economy matters that much more now, and indeed from what the ECB are saying as well. So more and more, these central banks are looking at the international side of things. Earlier on today, quick change of continent. Uh, the RBA announced that it would not be changing its um, interest rates. Its official cash rate remains at its record low of 1.0%, but they also signal apparent willingness to ease again. And later on today, we'll get the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. They are expected to cut another 25 basis points, which would put their OCR at a record low, a new record low, I should say, of 1.25%. And indeed, it looks if like it could be more to come there. Maintaining that tack, will get Reserve Bank of India on Wednesday. And they're really going for broke because they're expected to deliver a fourth successive interest rate cut. which should put their benchmark rate at 5.5%. And that would be the most aggressive period of easing uh, we've seen since the global financial crisis. So as we talked about on, I suppose, numerous podcasts mm-hmm. in the past, um, yeah, the trend in interest rates at the moment is very much down okay i suppose just before we go mark since we should have mm-hmm. touched on it earlier but it's my failure to, to ask you uh mm-hmm. u.s employment report with all this going on it's not mm-hmm. often people don't talk a great deal about u.s non-farm payroll so in a nutshell what did last friday's figures tell us about the state of the u.s economy
1: okay well let me go to my economy calendar here and pull up uh the uh report and it pops right in there it was a. Uh, It was a moderate, uh, uh, well, I mean, it was moderate relative to um, July's uh, very strong uh, showing, uh, 164,000 in payroll growth. There was a big government component in that, um, and that reflects the uh, large fiscal stimulus that the U.S. is already uh, underway in. Um, But uh, the manufacturing payrolls actually did very well uh, in contrast to all the concerns about Manufacturing, but what was uh, the the hidden uh, trouble in this report were the hours and what that hours are a major input into industrial production and the manufacturing component of that um, it it doesn't look like it's going to be very strong at all when that comes out uh, next I think it's next Thursday Uh, and that will be a red flag that'll be the first definitive besides this uh, with a, a more definitive more elaborated. Uh, look at July's conditions in that sector and that sector of course is under scrutiny right now and is really the reason why uh, or it, it's the focus of the feds rhetoric anyway uh, is to look at the business investment component within manufacturing and so um, those those numbers uh, has has some of those breakdowns in business equipment and things uh, in the industrial production report for July but that looks like it could be uh, trouble and if it is trouble that could very well for the markets, at least at that morning, raise expectations or, uh, of uh, more rate cuts to come, or at least it could raise that kind of talk. Uh, earnings in that report were uh, showed a little bit of life, but nothing really too dangerous. Just today, we, which is Tuesday, we had the JOLTS report, which looks back, which lags a month. But there, it's very clear all year long, a, 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 an easing trend in capacity uh, constraints in the U.S. labor market is very uh, is evident. Uh, they were very extreme relative to this report, the history of this report, uh, which tracks job openings and hires and quits, uh, again, on a lagging basis. But it, it, it builds in some detail. And that detail is showing us that uh, there is apparently, uh, or there may be uh, uh, more capacity than we thought uh, in the labor market, which will encourage... Or uh, give the Fed uh, encouragement that their rate cut policy is the correct policy. So it doesn't look like there's going to be any flashpoint for wages or anything like that. So uh, it's really – it's a, I, mean, the, I mean you had talked about slowing and stuff. Now, uh, I think the slowing is centered in in Europe – uh, you know, China uh, or, or stagnation, uh, China is still growing, even though at a slower rate. And the U.S. is doing really well. You know, we have a 4.3 percent inflation adjusted annual consumer spending rate in the second quarter. That's robust. So uh, and that reflects the strength of uh, the, the labor market. So the question here for the historians will be if these trends continue, we're going to have that domestic uh, uh, insular Economy versus what you know for the last you know post World War II history has been this idea of raising uh, uh, trade as much as possible. So we're uh, we're we're moving into a different uh, point right now, and we'll see how uh, how important that foreign component is uh, to a domestic component that is strong and hot and growing.
0: Excellent. Okay. So much to watch out there. Right. Well, there we will end it for today then. And indeed, for the next couple of weeks, as some of us enjoy a little vacation time. Um, On behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. And remember, podcast or not, you can always keep up to date with the market moves and shakers in Econaday's global economic calendar. We'll speak to you next time. Bye for now. Ecomoday has provided value for the investment industry for over 25 years, amassing a comprehensive machine-readable database of global market events. Our exceptional dataset consists of consensus, actual reported, and revised numbers of economic events. Algorithmic trading firms, global banks, asset managers, hedge funds, and AI technology firms are leveraging Econoday's unique historical dataset to fuel their propriety trading models and support their research and compliance teams. Go to www.econoday.com and follow at Econoday on Twitter to learn more.